do think that not only are we, are all of us, uh, you know, the Government Reform Committee, Judiciary Committee, Armed Services Committee, um, Energy and Commerce Committee, Intelligence Committee, all willing to pursue uh, subpoenas in this area. We're willing to back it up with court action. And what we've seen with the January 6th Commission is there's some great precedent where the courts have upheld uh, Congress's ability uh, to get information. It is our intention to pursue this to the fullest. Welcome back, my friends, once again to another episode of Red Pill News. As always, I'm your host, Zach Payne, the corruption detector. And what you just saw in that introduction was Republican Mike Turner from Ohio. He is the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee. He will be chairing that committee in the new year. And you can see from what he is telling Maria Bartiromo that that boomerang is about to come back around and hit the FBI, the DHS, the NIH, and any other corrupt federal agency that had a hand in pushing the scales here in America, whether it was the free flow of information, squelching the free speech of American citizens, stopping people from investigating the crimes of the federal government. The list goes on and on. And in one of those particular cases was the very troubling relationship between the FBI and Twitter. So do me a favor, sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and we'll be right back after this. All right, my friends, welcome back, and thank you for sticking around. Now, I never thought that I would say this, but thank God for the hubris and the gall of the Democrats in Congress and for their January 6th committee witch hunt investigation, which set some incredible precedents in court, showing the uh, very long arm of Congress and the fact that they have pretty much the power that they need to look into anything, to request any documents they want, because it's going to come in very handy in the new Republican House committees when it comes to things like the Twitter files or the general influence of the intelligence community in the lives of everyday Americans and the private social media companies that have been moderating our speech for quite some time. Now, the Twitter files thus far, in my opinion, have been a revelation. They have confirmed everything that we've been saying for the last several years. And over the weekend, Matt Taibbi had this supplemental drop. This time, it was in regards to some questions circulated within Twitter by none other than San Francisco FBI agent Elvis Chan. Apparently, he had some written questions that he wanted to circulate among Twitter employees from the Foreign Influence Task Force. Now, what this is, is an interagency group that deals with cyber threats. Now, he sent it over and he said, I believe that ahead of our weekly meeting, I would like to have you answer these questions. So the information within the questionnaire, the subtext seemed to indicate that the FBI was not too happy with Twitter. They implied that in a meeting on July 20th, DHS Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the FBI, and industry briefing that they claim Twitter indicated they had not observed much recent activity from official propaganda actors on your platform. Now, this would probably be good news to anyone who would truly be looking to police this type of stuff. Malign foreign influence is always an issue that the federal government is going to try to, uh, you know, upend if they ever get a chance to do so. However, there was a bit of discussion within the U.S. intelligence community to get clarifications from your company, meaning that the FBI and the intelligence community as a whole were very unhappy that Twitter wasn't finding and suppressing more of this. At this point, the task force was demanding that Twitter explain its unpopular decision, meaning that the task force believed that there was more malign foreign influence and that Twitter wasn't doing enough about it. 
Kind of shocking when you take a look at the communications that have been revealed thus far, sending requests to delete different tweets, to suppress certain accounts, to put people on ban lists, to uh, just basically kick them off of their accounts. Now, when Yul Roth received this questionnaire, he circulated it among Twitter executives, and he said that he was frankly perplexed by the requests here, that this is not something normal for the FBI to send over, and it's insane to think that there is this already pre-existing relationship between the FBI and Twitter. Again, up until this point, it was mostly requests to delete very small accounts and certainly larger accounts that were tweeting about things the FBI and the intelligence community didn't want us plebs talking about. But in this instance, the form of this questioning was coming almost as if it was coming from a congressional committee, not from the FBI. He said he was not comfortable with the Bureau and, by extension, the intelligence community demanding written answers. Now, the idea of the FBI acting as a conduit for the intelligence community is both interesting and alarming because the FBI is a criminal investigation organization and certain aspects of the intelligence community do not have the legal right to operate within the United States of America. So if the FBI is doing the bidding of, say, the Central Intelligence Agency or any other federal agencies that are supposed to be acting out there in the general global sphere, as opposed to here in America, well, it's a problem. Now, he also sent another note internally saying that the premise of the questions were flawed because Twitter had been clear that official state propaganda is definitely a thing on Twitter. But it seems like the FBI was hinting at the idea that there was a lot more they wanted to be suppressed, and they were not happy with Twitter's answers as to what was showing up on Twitter. Now, what's also interesting is that since the beginning of the Twitter file's release, the FBI has actually responded to Matt Taibbi. They said the FBI regularly engages with private sector entities to provide information specific to identified foreign malign influence actors, subversion, undeclared, covert, or criminal activities. Private sector entities independently make decisions about this. Now, that may be true, and that may have happened in the past, but again, the relationship between Twitter and the FBI was wholly different, uh, now that it's been revealed, than anything else we knew about in the past. So, at the end of the day, the FBI and the intelligence community were trying to put pressure on Twitter to do their bidding in a certain way, and that may have been because they were aware of the new information that was going to be dropped in October of 2020, that namely being the Hunter Biden laptop. And that is the subject of today's Twitter file release, part seven. But before we jump into part seven, I just wanted to bring your attention back very briefly to this interview with Mike Turner from yesterday on Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo. Because although Mike definitely calls out the actions of Twitter and social media companies in general, the more important part here is that he also recognizes that the FBI not only had a direct line of communication with social media, but also very importantly with the mainstream media. It appears that the FBI, the DHS, many other organizations under the umbrella of the intelligence community were directing on a daily basis not only what people could say online, which accounts were allowed to stay online, but also what information was allowed to flow online. And that becomes all the more relevant when we consider the type of reporting we've seen from the fake news mainstream media 
over the last several years. Ever since Donald Trump walked down that escalator, the intelligence community and the federal government decided together that they were going to allow a certain narrative to survive. And that narrative was that Donald Trump would destroy the United States of America and that there was all of this bad stuff surrounding him. And so by very virtue of that fact, they could not allow for any negative press to come out about any other potential challengers to Donald Trump or more importantly, the people in his family. And that's what brings us to part seven of the Twitter files, the Hunter Biden laptop and the FBI's efforts to discredit it both before and after the New York Post story. And now armed with that knowledge that Mike Turner, head of the Intelligence Committee, is aware of the connection between the IC and the mainstream media and social media companies, we begin with part seven of the Twitter files, the FBI and the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, I expect most people are going to be very well versed in everything that's contained herein, but I still think it's important to go through because there are going to be a few nuggets that you may not have been aware of. Now, the discrediting of the Hunter Biden laptop was essential to the organized PSYOP making people believe that, yes, Joe Biden could potentially become president under the correct circumstances. Now, we know he wasn't really elected. We know he has been selected and he is an illegitimate president. But the very fact that Hunter Biden was doing business deals all over the world with places like China, Russia and and even Kazakhstan and that Joe Biden was aware of Hunter Biden's business dealings, that would have created a major impediment to Joe Biden seeking the office of the presidency. Now, in the sixth edition, of the Twitter files, we saw that the FBI had a very close relationship with Twitter. They were relentless in their communications, their directives of organizing who to delete, what to suppress. And now in part seven, we are looking at new evidence, which shows that there was an organized effort by certain members of the intelligence community, all aimed at senior executives of both news and social media companies to discredit this information that was contained in the Hunter Biden laptop. And this is once again, Why I come back to Congressman Mike Turner, because that representative having this full knowledge and the weight of this information has quite a bit of power when it comes to the intel community. In the same way that the January 6th committee was able to successfully take whatever they wanted from whomever they wanted, Mike Turner and his intelligence committee are going to be able to do the exact same thing. And that may come in very handy because we just got word a few minutes ago that President Trump, John Eastman, and perhaps a few others have been criminally referred by the January 6th committee. I'll be very interested to see where that goes in the new year when Republicans are now heading up that committee. Are they going to cancel those referrals? Is that something that can even happen? Even if President Trump is brought up on charges, is are they going to be able to convict him on them? I tend to think not because I don't believe that Donald Trump did anything close to what Jamie Raskin and the others on the J6 committee are saying. So, This evidence begins December 2019 when, of course, John Paul MacIsaac, the owner of that Delaware computer store that Hunter Biden had dropped his laptops off at, contacted the FBI saying that Hunter Biden had left this stuff with him. On December 9th, the FBI then issues a subpoena for and takes Hunter Biden's laptop and any of the property that was left there. Now, by August of 2020, John Paul MacIsaac had not yet heard from the FBI, even though he had discovered evidence of criminal activity. At this point, John Paul MacIsaac believed in the sanctity of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and that the deck was not stacked against the American people. What 
what a wake up call for this man to have to go through. He also emailed Rudy Giuliani, who just as it so happens, was under the investigation and surveillance of the FBI in that time. Then in early October, Giuliani gives everything to the New York Post. Now, shortly before 7 p.m. on October 13th, Hunter Biden's lawyer, George Messeries, emails John Paul MacIsaac, and Hunter and Messeries had just learned because of the New York Post story about the laptop and that it was going to be published the next day. So he writes to MacIsaac and he says, John Paul, thank you for speaking with me tonight. As I indicated, I'm a lawyer for Hunter Biden, and I appreciate you reviewing your records on this matter. Thank you very much. Then at 9.22 p.m., FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan sends 10 documents to Twitter's then head of site integrity, the eponymous Yoel Roth, through something called Teleporter. This is a one-way communications channel direct from the FBI to Twitter. This is the first time I've heard about Teleporter. Interesting name. And, and how interesting that the FBI and Twitter would have such a direct line of communication. So Chan says, Twitter folks, heads up, I will be sending a Teleporter link for you to download in 10 minutes. It is not spam. Please confirm receipt when you get it. Thanks. And then Yoel Roth replies, received and downloaded. Now, of course, the next day, October 14th, 2020, we get the explosive story in the New York Post revealing the overseas business dealings and illegal activities of President Joe Biden's son. At that time, candidate Joe Biden's son, Hunter. This may have been explosive. It may have even been exploitative. But every single word in that piece was 100% correct because it was documented. It was verified. And the information was from Hunter Biden's own emails, text messages, and the videos and pictures that he took while he was sleeping with prostitutes and smoking crack cocaine. Now, of course, it wasn't very long before Twitter and other social media companies decided they had to censor this. They had to prevent it from spreading around. And most importantly, they had to undermine its credibility with the citizens of America. Now, why do you think that would happen? I mean, the only logical reason that I can think of, and I think everybody probably agrees on this is that they hated Donald Trump and they wanted Joe Biden to be the only person who could enter the office of the presidency. Now, we've already seen the internal communications on Twitter leading up to the suppression of that story. Matt Taibbi released in his portion of the Twitter files that debate that was raging inside Twitter talking about their decisions to censor this article, no matter how correct it may have been. And since then, we've gotten new information that points to an organized effort by those members of the intel community who also had a vested interest in ensuring that President Trump would not remain president. In case you need any reminders, here is a clip from Peter Schweitzer talking about the tens of millions of dollars in contracts with foreign businesses that Hunter Biden earned by working with people like the Chinese government. But the only problem is he didn't actually do any real work to get those tens of millions of dollars. It's quite clear that what he was selling was not his own talents, but access to the Biden crime family. And then during 2020, the FBI and a number of other law enforcement agencies repeatedly primed Yoel Roth, the head of trust and safety at that time, to dismiss reports of Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation. This is a sworn declaration that Yoel Roth gave in December of 2020. He says, since 2018, I have had regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security. Now, here's where they laid the groundwork. During these weekly meetings, the federal law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected hack and leak operations by state actors, and they might occur in the period shortly before the 2020 presidential election, likely 
in October. Now, how did they know that this was going to come out? Well, that would mean that they would have had to have been surveilling the people who had access to the laptop or were communicating about the laptop. Or perhaps it's because in December of 2019, when the FBI received the laptop, they knew that it was only a matter of time before everything came out. I tend to think it's a combination of both. The federal government was spying on U.S. citizens. They were trying to ensure that anyone who had access to these materials would keep them hidden and not choose to publish them. However, the New York Post had other ideas. And of course, we know they did the exact same thing to Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg said the FBI came to us. They told us, yeah, we're going to have this Russian leak that's coming out right before the 2020 election. So of course, when the Hunter Biden laptop came out, they just assumed that's exactly what they were talking about, regardless of its legitimacy. So these FBI warnings about a Russian hack and leak operation regarding Hunter Biden's laptop, were they related to any new intel? I already know the answer to that question. No, they were only related to the intel the FBI had about the fact that Hunter Biden had lost this very damaging laptop, which detailed the criminal activities of the Biden crime family. The FBI said this. Through our investigations, we did not see any similar competing intrusions to what had happened in 2016. Elvis Chan admitted that back in November. So Twitter executives repeatedly reported very little Russian activity. On September 24th of 2020, Twitter told FBI it had removed 345 largely inactive accounts linked to previous coordinated Russian hacking attempts and that they had little reach and low follower accounts. What's interesting is that Twitter also actively debunked claims that its platform was being used for such nefarious activities as domestic actors. They said, we haven't seen any evidence to support that claim when they were directly commenting on an NBC News report about foreign controlled bots. They said, our review thus far shows a small scaled domestic troll effort. Now, you also might remember this article right here, white nationalist group posing as Antifa called for violence on Twitter. Never seen anything to support that as a claim. Going back to the idea that the FBI was hyper-focused on malign foreign influence back in August of 2020, President Trump had shared a Washington Post article entitled, Black Voters Are Being Targeted in Disinformation Campaigns, echoing the 2016 Russian playbook. Now, the FBI asked Twitter about that story, and Roth said that the article made a lot of insinuations, but they saw no evidence that this was happening on Twitter. Coincidentally, this is not the first time that Roth pushed back against Twitter. Uh, back in January of 2020, he had resisted efforts to get Twitter to share data outside of the normal search warrant process, which is really incredible, attempting to push for additional data to be released, even though the FBI should not have legal access to it. Uh, I'm also shocked that Yoel Roth would have uh, balked at the idea of giving that information over. Now, pressure was growing on Twitter executives. We have seen a sustained, if uncoordinated, effort by the intelligence community to push us to share more info and change our API policies. They are probing and pushing everywhere they can, including by whispering to congressional staff. The API, that means that the federal government, the FBI, wanted backdoor access to Twitter so that they could just go in and snake whatever data they wanted at any time. And by whispering to the aides of congressional representatives, well, that means that they were also seeking to change the law to give them the ability to go ahead and 
and do so. Shocking levels of abuse of power here. Now, time and again, the FBI would ask Twitter for evidence of foreign influence and Twitter would respond. They're not finding anything worth reporting. We haven't yet identified activity that we typically refer to you or even flag as interesting in the foreign influence context, meaning that it just wasn't happening. But the FBI kept asking. And despite the executives at Twitter telling the FBI as much, they continued to make repeated requests for information from Twitter that Twitter has already made clear it will not share outside of normal legal channels. And then in July of 2020, the FBI's Elvis Chan arranges for temporary top security clearances for Twitter executives so that the FBI can share information about threats to the upcoming election. Shocking. I can't even believe it. So the FBI gave Twitter employees access to security clearances so that they could talk to them about what was coming up from the Hunter Biden laptop. No wonder Twitter went all in on trying to suppress this information. The very fact that this happened is not something that they could talk to each other about if they weren't on the list of the same people who had received security clearances. But it looks like Twitter's access to classified information didn't stop with the idea of Hunter Biden's laptop. On August 11th of 2020, FBI agent Elvis Chan once again shared a teleporter link with Yoel Roth. This time, the information contained therein was some data on Russian hacking organizations. One of them was called APT28. Looks like there was another one, FITF, and then finally another called Sandworm. Now, these documents come in the form of a link from a teleporter01.org address. In that link from the email, you download the documents and then you can store them to your computer. After that, they disappear. Very interesting stuff. Recently, Yoel Roth told Kara Wisher that he had been primed to think about the Russian hacking group APT28 before the news of Hunter Biden's laptop came out. That way, once Hunter Biden's information came out, the FBI probably said, hey, remember that stuff we told you about APT28? Well, Yoel Roth said it set off every single one of my finely tuned APT28 hack and leak campaign alarm bells. So then in August of 2020, Chan once again asks Twitter, does anyone there have top secret security clearance? And when someone mentions Jim Baker, Chan responds, I don't know how I forgot him. An odd claim given Chan's job is to monitor Twitter, not to mention that they had already worked together at the FBI. Yeah, that's a really good question. How did Elvis Chan forget about Jim Baker? Because, I mean, it's not like Jim Baker's name has not come up many different times associated with virtually every scandal of the federal government trying to destroy Donald Trump in the Patriot movement. He was general counsel for the FBI from 2014 to 2018. So he and Elvis Chan would have been very, very chummy. He was one of the most powerful men in the U.S. intelligence community. What's interesting is that this foray into employment at Twitter is not the first time Jim Baker has left government to go out to the private sector. He also did a stint at CNN at Bridgewater, which is a giant asset management firm, and of course, the Brookings Institution. Brookings is something that comes up quite often. But while he was there at the FBI, he played a central role in making the case internally for the investigation of President Donald Trump. And he wasn't the only FBI executive that was involved in the Trump investigation at Twitter. Turns out there was also a Don Burton, the former deputy chief of staff to FBI head James Comey. She joined Twitter in 2019 as director of strategy. 
And as of 2020, there were so many former FBI employees that were working at Twitter, they had created their own private Slack channel in a crib sheet to onboard new FBI arrivals so they could probably tell them about the ongoing operations that continued to take place. One of those such operations was the influence of Yoel Roth at Twitter. Because in September of 2020, Yoel Roth was invited to participate in a little exercise at the Aspen Institute. It was what they called a tabletop exercise on a potential hack and dump operation relating to Hunter Biden. Isn't that insane how every single time something happens in the real world, they have an exercise about it months before. You have to believe that they are well aware of everything that's taking place. Either they're trying to prime the public, or in this case, they're trying to prime this yokel, Yoel Roth, so that he'll think that the Hunter Biden laptop is actually Russian disinformation. Now, the goal of this exercise was to shape how the media covered it and how social media carried it, which is exactly what happened. The organizer of this exercise was Vivian Schiller. She just happened to be the former CEO of NPR, former head of news at Twitter, former general manager of the New York Times, and the former chief digital officer at NBC News. Some additional attendees included people from Meta slash Facebook, the head of security policy there, and top national security reporters from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and others. Everybody was in on this game. Then by mid-September of 2020, Chan and Roth had set up an encrypted messaging network so that employees from the FBI and Twitter could communicate together. They also agreed to create a virtual war room for all the internet history plus FBI and Office of Director of National Intelligence work being done as well. Then on September 15th of 2020, the FBI's Laura Dem who headed up the Foreign Influence Task Force, along with Elvis Chan, requested to give a classified briefing for Jim Baker without any other Twitter staff like Yoel Roth present. Why would that be? Well, on October 14th, shortly after the New York Post published that Hunter Biden laptop story, Roth says it isn't clearly violative of our hacked materials policy, nor is it clearly in violation of anything else. But this feels a lot like a somewhat subtle leak operation. Now, in response to Roth, Jim Baker repeatedly insists that the Hunter Biden materials are either fake, hacked, or both, and a violation of Twitter policy. Baker does this all over email, plus he put it in a Google Doc on October 14th and on the 15th. Now, Baker may have believed that the Hunter Biden emails were either faked or hacked. He wasn't in the federal government at that time, and who knows what the people who were working at the FBI said to him. But the New York Post had included a picture of the receipt that was signed by none other than Hunter Biden. They brought the receipts, as it were, with this story, and it became very obvious to anybody paying attention or willing to take a look at the evidence there, that this was a real laptop that Hunter Biden left with the Delaware repair shop, and then the FBI came and picked it up in December of 2019. Those two laptops were the same. As for the FBI, it would have taken them minutes, maybe hours at the most, to confirm that the laptop had indeed belonged to Hunter Biden. For somebody like Peter Schweitzer, who doesn't have access to all of the government uh, bells and whistles that the FBI would have, he was able to figure it out in minutes. Now, by 10 a.m., Twitter executives had bought into a wild hack and dump story. The suggestion from experts, which rings true, is that there was a hack that happened separately. So let's just say the, the laptop's real. But the 
information was hacked at a different time. And so therefore, the information that's being revealed, we can't allow to come out. And they loaded the hacked materials onto the laptop that magically appeared at a repair shop in Delaware. That is a major stretch of logic there. But at 3.38 p.m. on the same day, October 14th, Jim Baker arranges a phone conversation with Matthew J. Perry in the office of the general counsel at the FBI. The influence operation that was continuing on the Twitter executives was persuading them that the Hunter Biden laptop did not come from a whistleblower. Now, one link to a Hill article based on a Washington Post article from October 15th, which falsely suggested that Giuliani's leak of the laptop had something to do with Russia. We can see that right here. I'd also note the seemingly well-timed briefings from government sources highlighting concerns about the source of the hard drive, which would support an assessment that it's neither whistleblower or dissident content. This is from Nick Pickles at Twitter. And then we can take a look here. Intelligence officials warned Trump that Giuliani was the target of a Russian influence campaign. I remember when those stories came out. This had nothing to do with Russian influence. It had everything to do with Hunter Biden actually committing crimes and leaving that laptop at that shop in Delaware. There is evidence that FBI agents have warned elected officials of foreign influence with the primary goal of leaking the information to the news media. This is a often used political dirty trick used to create the perception of impropriety. In 2020, as an example, the FBI gave a briefing to Senator Grassley and Johnson claiming of Russian interference into their investigation of Hunter Biden. The briefing angered the senators who said it was done to discredit their investigation and they spoke out about it. The unnecessary FBI briefing provided the Democrats and liberal media the vehicle to spread their false narrative that our work advanced Russian disinformation when in fact it was only advancing the truth. Now notably, then FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was investigated twice in 2017 and 2019 for leaking information to the news media. You're saying he's under criminal investigation? That's why you're not letting him answer? Yes, that was the answer. That came from Politico. Now, in the end, we're all aware of the end result of the FBI's influence operation. Talk about malign domestic influence. Twitter, social media companies around the world, and the mainstream media, they all censored and attempted to discredit the Hunter Biden laptop story. And by December of 2020, James Baker and his colleagues even sent a note of thanks to the FBI for the work they did to gaslight and psyop the employees at Twitter. You can also look to the fact that the FBI was not just giving information to Twitter employees. They were also paying Twitter millions of dollars for its staff time. I am happy to report we have collected $3,415,323 since October of 2019. This is a note from a Twitter employee detailing the amount of money made since October of 2019 from the federal government. Doing the bidding of the FBI paid for with American taxpayer dollars. That makes it an even deeper level of corruption and necessary mistrust with everything the agency is doing. The pressure from the FBI on social media platforms, of course, continues to this day. Back in August of this year, Twitter executives prepared for a meeting with the FBI whose goal was to convince us to produce on more FBI EDRs. What's an EDR? That's an emergency disclosure request or 
a warrantless search. So that means that the FBI met with Twitter just a couple of months ago, telling them that they needed more access to your private data, to your instant messages, to your Twitter messages, to maybe even your unpublished tweets. This takes it in another direction entirely. But essentially, at the end of the day, we can be assured of two things. The FBI is corrupt and Twitter got taken for a ride. So now that Elon Musk is there releasing this information, we must have a continuation of this full disclosure. We must have a cleaning out of the FBI. And I sincerely hope that people like Mike Turner on the House Intelligence Committee will use all of this data that's been released to hold the people accountable who have trained all over our rights and essentially turned us into second-class citizens in our own nation. All right, my friends, that's all I've got for you today. I want to thank everyone for joining me. Please be here tonight at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Patel Patriots channel and then Badlands Media after that for another episode of Baseless Conspiracies with myself and John Harold. Other than that, I'll see you tonight. Good luck and God bless.